I welcome all those online. Thanks for tuning in the Grove. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we're, we're excited for today's service. I'm excited about today's uh, message. Uh, we just finished up a series that was called Ten Principles. We went through the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And uh, I was building up to for this summer to go from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And what does that look like in the New Testament? What do the commandments look like when, when it comes to Jesus and his teachings and how it applies to us? And so I'm excited for today and next week to talk about a couple of things that, that Jesus said were really important. You don't want to miss and uh, that's what we're going to jump into today and talk about that. So before I do, though, since it's Father's Day, um, I heard a, a, a story about these four men who were in the waiting room. And while they're in the waiting room, their wives are giving, having labor. And uh, the nurse comes in and tells the first father, uh, congratulations, uh, you are father of twins. And the guy says, wow, that's strange. I work for the Minnesota Twins. And so she says, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. So a few minutes later, she goes back in. She comes out with the news for the second father. She says, she says good news. Uh, congratulations, you're a father of triplets. And the man says, that's really weird. I work for 3M. And she's like, wow, congratulations, you have triplets. That's awesome. And so she goes back into the, into the, operator, into the room and, um, and after a while comes out and tells the third father, you'll never believe this, but you're a father of quadruplets. Congratulations, you have four kids now. And the guy says, wow, this is, um, this is really odd. Um, I'm, I work at the Four Seasons Hotel. And so, his, so the nurse goes back in, and the guys hear a guy in the corner, like, moaning and kind of, you know, hit his head, kind of just despondent. And they're like, man, what is wrong with you? What's going on? He says, guys, you understand, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> so... We love kids. Seven would be a lot, um, but still it would be a gift. So it's, uh, we, hope, we hope you have a great Father's Day. We hope that you enjoy your time and uh, you eat some good food and grill or whatever you're doing, and it'll be good. So today, I want to jump into today's message, and one of the things I want to ask you is this, is when it comes to your life, who is at the center of your world? When you think of your life, when you think about how you organize things, when you think about how you plan things, who is at the center? I remember when I was in the third grade, this is so, it jumped out to me so, like, I remember this. It was, it was, it was horrible, horrible day. Uh, I was sick, and I stayed home from school the whole day. And, uh, and it, I had no fun. I was uh, just, just home and didn't have a good time. So the next day I went to school, and I thought everybody else was sick at home also. And so when I said, hey, what did you guys do yesterday? And then they're like, well, we came to school, and actually we played this really cool game, and Billy Wan, and this, and that, and this. And I'm like, what? You played a game without me? Like, you came to school without me? And I remember this moment in my head, I woke up to this realization that I was not the center of the universe. I know, right? Oh, I get it. Some of you still haven't known that yet. (laughs) Let me help you out, all right? You're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. But what happens is when we organize our life, when we think through lives, a lot of times we put ourselves in the center and we become the most important. Culture makes this very difficult because one of the main uh, theories and ideas that, that is taught in, edu- in our education system is the idea of humanism, which means uh, man is at the center of it all. Like it all revolves around man, which really complicates things because when you learn at a young age that everything's about man and it revolves around us, it really makes things really messy uh, because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible actually says we're not the center. Uh, our story is not, it's not, the most, it's not everything about us, but there's something greater going on. There's a greater story. In fact, the Bible says that God is actually at the center of it all. And when we actually follow his way, life works a lot better. And we talked about the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to talk about how this, this fits. But here's, here's the idea, all right? Um, I begin to research a little bit about uh, people who get off course, you know? In a plane, if you just get a little bit of degrees off course, within a few miles, you're going to be really off course. Within a few hundred miles, you'll, you won't even be close to your destination. 
Well, in boats, the same thing. When you're in, in the ocean, um, I heard they just the st- a movie just came out called Adrift. Um, I haven't seen it. I'm not recommending it. But the, the idea is there was a lady who got she was traveling from Tahiti to um, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere else, and and she got off. She got, she got into a hurricane and ended up um, having the, her her broke her boat break, so she couldn't sail anymore. And so she was just adrift in the ocean for 41 days. Uh, pretty crazy. So that story is built off this one lady's experience. And I was reading more stories about uh, these two Americans that were leaving from Hawaii to Tahiti, and it was supposed to take about a month travel on uh, uh, sailing, and and it ended up being adrift in sea for five months. All right, pretty crazy. And so there was there was their mast broke, and they they couldn't uh, their engine stalled. Something happened. They broke, and they couldn't they couldn't do it. So they ended up being five thousand miles off of course. 5,000 miles off course. So their, their destination, they didn't get there because all that they were doing was drifting. They had no way to get themselves to that destination. Over and over, I was reading these stories about people um, uh, in boats, how something happened and they got off course um, and how they were lost because there was no, there was no. This is what I think happens to us when, when culture um, takes God out of the equation and just puts us in the equation. Our story is never big enough to really live out a large enough story that would really make meaning or sense of anything. And so what happens is we cut the ability to have direction in our life because now we're just like this boat that has no way to control itself, just adrift in the ocean. And as I talk about that, you might even think of your life at moments where you just kind of feel like that. You're kind of just, you're just kind of drifting, hoping to get somewhere important at some point. Like you're, there's not a lot of purpose. There's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of intentionality about where you're going in life. And when we cut off the, the mast in our boats, the ability to, 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 to get somewhere, that would be purpose, we're like that in life. We just drift along, hoping that the wind, hoping the sea will take us. But nobody ever drifts anywhere important. And nobody ends up anywhere that's exciting or really you want to get to on accident. And this is the story of the Bible. The Bible says that God is saying, if I have purpose for your life. I want to help you on this. So people who have a strong sense of purpose, they're more likely to reach their destination. And those who have a weak sense of purpose just tend to drift through life. They just kind of will see where life takes us. Because when you're at the center of your story, that's really the best you can do. I mean, one day you could paddle to one place and say, I really want to try this, and, and we'll go from one fix to another fix, one addiction to another addiction, hoping that will fill, fill us and, and, and give us fulfillment in life. But it doesn't because you're just adrift at sea. But God comes along. He says, if you will help me, if you allow me to help you, I will show you there's a better way to live. So the Ten Commandments, we went through these ten principles that we find in the Ten Commandments for ten weeks. And let me just tell you, a lot of you in this room, uh, you were here almost every single one of those weeks because you were, I think, enjoying it and learning something. I just want to say thank you for coming. Uh, a lot of you caught up online. You were telling me that you, you missed, but you were able to get online and, and watch it and, or listen to it. Uh, so I, I hopefully it challenged you to maybe look at scriptures a little differently because there's not just rules for us to obey and follow. There's principles behind it that are trying to help us to have healthy relationships and a healthy life. And so the Ten Commandments, we talked through each principle what they were. Let me give you an example of what that looks like with, with a picture, all right? So if we think of uh, the first four commandments, that they would say those are our, our um, relationship with God, all right? So up and down, it's, it's a vertical uh, r- relationship. These, these commandments talk about our relationship with God, which is a vertical relationship between us and God. So the first four, the first one is uh, you should have no other gods before me. We talked about the principle of priority, that whatever you put first always determines how second, third, and fourth things go. Like if you get the wrong order in things, that your life doesn't always play out the way it should. And you see this sometimes. You put the wrong thing first, and all of a sudden the important things get pushed out, and all of a sudden you have nothing to show for it. So he's saying, keep me first. Like God is saying, 
when it comes to our, with your relationship with me, when it comes to your relationship with, with life, make sure you have the right priorities in life. And then we talked the second week was about not having idols. And that was about um, p- keeping your life pure, not diluting it, not getting off track. Because over and over, if you read the scriptures, when people's hearts begin to drift to other gods or other idols or other things in life, they always get off course like a boat adrift, never knowing where to get. And God's saying, just, just keep me first. Don't have these other idols. Make, make, make your life have purity. And then don't take my name in vain. Have humility. Live a life where you understand it's not about you, all about you, and that I have better plans and um, that, that I'm God and you're not God. And he's saying, this is our relationship. And then the fourth commandment is the Sabbath. And we talked about how that's uh, the, the, the principle of rest. And there's a rhythm, six days on, one day of rest. And when we do that, not only does it help our relationship with God, but it also helps our relationship with people. And I would say that's, that's the one commandment that goes for both. It's, it's talking about our vertical relationship with God, but it's also talking about our horizontal relationship with others. Um, so then we look at the next six commandments, five through ten, and this is what we see. It's a, it's, a, it's a horizontal relationship. This is how we deal with me, with us and others. So you and others, this is your relationship with others. So the first one is about honoring your father and mother. Like how, if you honor your father and mother, the, the promise is that things will go well with you and you'll have a long life. Um, that things are, that you, things are going to just work in your life when you, when you show honor. And the reason is, the deeper reason is because when we honor the authorities in our life, we're actually able to honor God also. And when we can't honor the authorities in our life, it's hard for us to honor God. And this is why the enemy always wants to destroy, at the earliest age, the, our ability to trust authority figures, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, whatever. He wants to get in and destroy that because he knows if he can mess up our, our horizontal relationship with others, it messes up our relationship with him. And that's the enemy's goal is to, to bring that. And so the, the sixth week, this was Mother's Day, and we talked about murder, which I thought was awesome. And uh, we talked about the principle of love, right? So today I was thinking, how can I up that? Because talking about Father's Day and murder is kind of like, man, that's a big one. Um, but the principle was love and how God wants us to, to, to care for others because it's important how we treat others. And then adultery was about intimacy, having closeness with other people. Uh, that's our relationship with others and how it affects it. Stealing was trusting God for things that we don't have to take from others because that breaks down relationship in society. Uh, lying, talk about not lying, uh, was the, the, um, the ninth commandment. We talked about the principle of honesty. And then coveting was about con- contentment. And last week I made, it, made you a challenge saying, what tent are you living in? Uh, are you in the tent of uh, being content or are you in the, the, the state of being discontent? Uh, what, 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 what state are you in? What tent do you choose? And so we talked about that, that principle. And so these ten commandments, when you look at the picture, it's, it's our vertical relationship with us and God, but it's also our horizontal relationship with others. And this gives us a picture what, of what the, the, the gospel is all about. This is the message Jesus came to preach. It's all about the cross. He died on the cross, but it's a picture of how God says, your relationship with me has to be healthy. Your relationship with others has to be healthy. And when you get that right, like if you were to put a circle right on top of that where those two intersect, you would get a target, right? And I think that's essentially what God is saying. Here is your target in life. If you get this right, you'll end up somewhere where you wanted to end up. And we see in the life of Jesus, it's exactly what happened to him. He had such a strong sense of purpose that everything he did was leading into that destination. He had a goal, he had a target, he had a destination, and he hid it because he lived intentionally walking that way. And then he looks at us and says, I invite you on that same kind of journey. And it's a fun journey. It's not an easy journey. It's challenging. But when you trust me, when you follow me, you'll get, you'll get somewhere in life on purpose. You'll get there because you intended to get there. You'll get there because your actions led you that way. And so we have this picture of the cross. So here's, here's Jesus. There's, there's a moment where the religious people come and ask him a question. He's in dialogue with, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, 
And these will be two religious groups. So I guess the best explanation I could probably give you that you would kind of make, a, make sense is Demo- Democrats and Republicans. All right? Republicans. Democrats and Republicans. So you know that they're, they're at odds almost all the time in every single thing except when they have a common enemy. They'll come together. Right? Well, in this case, that's kind of these two religious sects were. They were at odds against each other. But because Jesus was a common enemy, they were able to kind of, you know, fight to t- take him out. And so they're in this discussion. And this is what it says in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees with his reply, and Jesus was talking about um, marriage in heaven and the, and, and the afterlife, all that, and it says that he answered their question where they were just silent. Like they asked a question, and they're like, oh, wow, he's really smart. So they didn't say anything else. So the Pharisees said, all right. The Sadducees asked a question, and they're silenced now. And so they said they met together, and they said, um, let's ask him a question. So one of them, an expert of religious law, right, trying to show the Sadducees they're better, they know more, um, they try to trap Jesus in this question. So they said, Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So if you look at the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments throughout the scriptures that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. Ten commandments is a summary of them. I believe those are the ten things that point out all of them. Um, but he's saying out of all those commandments, which there's a lot, which is the most important? And they're trying to trick him, trying to trap him, because if he says the wrong one, they say, aha, we got you. See, you're not, you're not really not the son of God. You're really not a leader because you're off course. You're wrong. But he says, this is what he says. Uh, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Huh, where have we heard that? We heard that just a while ago in Deuteronomy, right? We're challenging parents to raise their kids. So he quotes a portion of scripture, and this, it's actually a Jewish prayer. It's called the Shema. Shema is Hebrew for hear, uh, to, to hear, to hear and to listen. And so that's how the prayer starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. So every, religious, every Jewish person listening to him understood, okay, I heard this prayer when I was born. I prayed this prayer at least two times a day. Uh, whenever I was going to petition God for something else, I'd pray it then. So this prayer, and one day we'll do a whole series on the Shema. It's a great prayer um, and, a, and a great element to the gospel and to the, to the Bible. But essentially they would have said, I know what he's talking about, loving God with everything. Okay, that, I get that. And then he says, but he doesn't stop there. He says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet. So that's like two-thirds of the Bible right there he's talking about. right? So from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, he's saying that whole, that whole section, all the laws, all the prophets, they're based on these two commands. So he sums up the whole Bible by saying, here's the two things you need to do if you're going to get this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. So here's the thing. Religious people, they never struggle with the first part. And when we started the Grove, our heart was not to create religious people and not to create a religion. I don't think Jesus' intention was to create a religion. Christianity is not supposed to be a religion. It's a relationship, a relationship with us and, our, and, and God. It's us saying we want, to, we want you to lead us on this journey. And so religious people, they, they, struggle. they don't struggle with the first part. They struggle with the second part. The first part they get. Okay, loving God, I get that. But here's the problem. When you're a religious person, you base your religion off of what you think is most important. So if it's reading the Bible, you're thinking, I read my Bible today. I'm a good religious person. I'm, I'm good with God. It's real great. I'm loving God because I read my Bible. Others, they think, well, I prayed my prayers today. So I'm out of duty. I'm, I'm religious. I did good. So I'm, I'm checkmark. I'm good. And whatever it is that you think of when it comes to religion of what's, what's right, as long as you do that thing, you're good. But the problem is sometimes in doing that, we actually miss the point of it. And God is saying not, not just to do the things, those are important, but he's saying, what is the motive and the heart behind it? And that was the whole reason for the Ten Commandments, saying it's not just about 
following the commandments, it's knowing why they're given in the first place. So you can have a healthy relationship with God and with others. And when you do, life, it just works. It works the way it's supposed to. The second part, the reason they struggle with it, is because when it comes to others, that's messy, right? In fact, Jesus is talking, he's having a debate with one of the religious people, and they say, okay, love your neighbor, I get that, but who exactly is my neighbor? And it says the man was wanting to justify himself. So essentially, he was saying, all right, Jesus is going to tell me that my neighbor are the same people like my country, my people, the people I get along with, that's my neighbor, I get that. And you know what Jesus' story, he told the story of the Good Samaritan? You know who the neighbor was in the story? The enemy. The guy that you would least likely want to do something good for you, that was the hero of the story. The, Samaritan were, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, and Jesus made him the hero of the story, which would have made all the religious people really mad, like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, those are the enemies. They're not even, they're like half-breeds. They're not even, they would even call them dogs. Like, those are dogs. They don't even worthy of anything, and you're, you're saying that they're my neighbor? And the whole point was Jesus saying this, everyone is your neighbor. So if you want to know who your neighbor is, it's, it's everyone. So love God, love others. They kind of, he puts the whole motion of, of Scripture in, in, in perspective as saying, these are the two most important things you have to do with your life, is love God and love others. Now, when it comes to irreligious people, people that don't want anything to do with God, you know, they, they've struggled with the first part, but they, get, they kind of get the second part. Like, that makes sense when you love others, you do good for others. Like, that even draws people in. Like, I want to know more about that. Like, when I understand when somebody really cares about others, it actually inspires me to be more of a caring person. But, but the problem is, is it's, in, it's humanly impossible to love every person on this earth. Like, there are some people, in, in my strength, I cannot love. And part of me doesn't even want to love them because of things they've done or who they are. But God says they're still my neighbor. And he says, if, if you let me, I'll actually help you love them. And this is the part of the gospel that's really difficult for me sometimes because God is saying, I want you to love others. I want you to care for others. I want you to, to use your life. Um, I guess the question in your life is when it comes to the way you approach these things, are you, maybe you're religious, which is not always a good thing, or maybe you're irreligious where you're avoiding God. And today I would say uh, one of the ways you can figure out where you're at is do people know what you're for or they, do they just know what you're against? Because if they only know what you're against that gives you an indication of actually where you stand if they they only hear all these rules and things you can't do all that and what you're what you're always against and they don't really know what you're about like like your passions your things in life that you're trying to get to it gives you an indication of who you are so because religious people they always suck the life out of others because they're always demanding they're always thinking they know more and if we're not careful we can become those people all the time because we become prideful and full of ourselves but a life-giving person they're always looking to add value to somebody else. Uh, There's somebody who wants to help others. So here's the thing. We don't need more religious people in this world. We need people who will add value. We need, we need you to be a person who walks into a room, and when you walk in, people say, wow, I'm glad they're here because they're going to add value to this situation. They're going to add value to this meeting. They're going to bring something that's going to show they actually care for me. And these are the kind of people God's looking for, life-giving people, not life-sucking people. And in relationships, if you're not careful... When you're the center, you actually become the life suckers, not the life givers. But when God says, you put me center, you let me lead you, you'll become a person who adds value everywhere you go. So on this journey, there's a lot of ways that we can love others. So we love God, the relationship with him, and we love others. As a church, we're always looking for opportunities to do this. Um, since Harry talked a little about it, July 14th, last year, uh, we had about 40, 40 of us from the church went out. We cleaned two elementary schools. Uh, last July, we spent a Saturday after uh, Saturday morning. It was kind of cool. Went out and did yard work and cleaned up. 
um, and, and just, just served our community to do that. This next month, we're going to do that again. And I would invite you and encourage you, would you do this with us? Uh, you don't have to necessarily serve with us along this. You can also serve your neighborhood. You can look for other opportunities. Uh, our, the city reaches out to us every now and then. I'm trying to build a relationship to say, where do you, where's the needs? How can our church serve the needs of our community, our city? Because we want to add value. And so they'll send me correspondence every now and then. Said, can you get the volunteers? Uh, they said next Sunday they're doing a uh, lowrider show on the south side. And they said, we need some volunteers. And so if you're interested in volunteering for that for a couple hours, let me know. I'll, I'll put you in contact with them. There's always ways we can serve our neighbors and love our community. And what's amazing is when we step out of our world as all about me and we say, how can I serve somebody else? We actually begin to find a lot more joy in life because we realize life is just not about me getting everything I want, but it's about how God wants to use my life to help others in this world. And that's what life is made to be, and it's fulfilling when we do that. Um, Every year we help an organization called Convoy of Hope, a great organization. They do disaster relief all around the world. Uh, two weeks ago in Guatemala, a, a, a volcano erupted with no warning, and uh, a lot of families were displaced. Um, um, a lot of them ha- had to run for their lives as, as, the, as the lava flowed, and, and a lot of family, a lot of family members were lost in that in that um, eruption. Convoy of Hope, um, once it happened, they began to put out correspondence saying, "Hey, we're going to be taking supplies. Any churches out there want to help us? Um, you can you can give some support." And uh, that week, I, I said, "Our church is." Um, looking for opportunities to always do things like that. And so we sent an offering right away to help them. And uh, um, I'll sh- I'll, let me show you a video. This is Hal, uh, Hal Lindsay, he's, uh, Hal Lindsay, Hal, Hal uh, Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope. And I love his story. Somebody helped him when, when his family lost everything. And out of that heart of, of somebody helping him when he was his lowest point, he started a ministry called Convoy of Hope that does disaster relief, feeds the poor, empowers women by teaching them uh, skills. Uh, all co- it's an amazing ministry. Uh, we ride every, every year 500 miles, bike for the light. If you want to do that with me in September, I would love for you to join me. It would be awesome. Uh, we do this every year. Uh, a couple, last year we bought them a, a truck to do disaster relief. The year before that we brought them a, a van, two vans, to, to take supplies to inner cities to help people, uh, rural cities all, all that, that need food. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. So I want to show you a video a little about Hal Donaldson, Donaldson talking about why us um, helping others is so important. A lot of people think that the problem today is, is simply uh, food, water, poverty, but it's really hopelessness. As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we ask a very important question. What is it that Jesus wants done? In partnership with people all over the world, what we're endeavoring to do is to transfer hope. When disasters strike, it is an amazing moment for the local church. When other people are fleeing, other people are leaving, Uh, The local church is running to a disaster, running right into the middle of it. We want that community to look at the local church and say, when our community was hit hard, that church stepped up. And in the name of Jesus, they responded. They helped people. When people hear about children's feeding programs, immediately they think about just filling the stomachs of, of children and keeping them alive. And there's truth in that. But it actually goes beyond that. It's really about the safety of that child, because if that child grows up and that child is either in the streets begging or that child is on a garbage heap scavenging for food, that child is not educated. That child becomes vulnerable to those who will prey upon those who are weak. We don't want to raise up a generation of weak children. We want to raise up a generation of strong children 
who can change their communities and change their countries. Some years ago, I went to a, a village in Haiti, and um, it was barren. I, I mean, it was just all brown. There was nothing there. We had a gentleman from Washington State University, uh, Dr. Dirt, Jason Sturble, that wrote a letter. And he said in that letter that he wanted to help communities come to life by helping them grow crops. And uh, so he joined our team. Uh, a few years later, when I went back to that same village, that same countryside, it was just full of life. It was lush. And that's what we've seen through Convoy of Hope all over the world. It's not just growing food so that people aren't hungry. It goes beyond that. It gives life to the entire community. When you think about 1.3 billion people living in poverty, and 70% of them are women, if we can empower the women, um, uh, statistics show that they're going to be more inclined to meet the needs of their family and to raise up the level uh, the living conditions of their entire community. The thing that keeps me awake at night is uh, the thought of all the children and the women that are on our waiting list. We just haven't had the resources to bring them into the program. And um, yeah, that breaks my heart. Every day, every 24 hours, 16,000 children die from hunger and water-related causes. Every single day. That's a daily disaster. And that's what we're trying to respond to, to make sure that that number just is whittled down year after year, 16, down to 12, down to 10, down to 5, down to 1, and then a big zero. Thank you for being a part of that. We, we Our church feeds 100 um, kids in Haiti every single day as they get foods in, in the schools. And I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this is part of loving others. This is This is part... Uh, where God says, love love me, have a relationship with me, but also love others, care for others. And what we do with, with our life, it matters. It makes an impact. It makes a difference. Uh, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he said, there's a thief that only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief wants to take your mast. He wants to keep you adrift in the ocean, in the sea of life, so you have nowhere to end up at, just drifting along, not sure where you're going to go. But Jesus says, but I have come that they may have real, eternal life, more and a better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus says, I'm giving them a bullseye. I'm giving them a target to aim for. I want their life to be such an, so intentional with so much purpose that they make an impact just like I did. See, Jesus had these statements like this. He says, uh, the healthy don't need the doctors, the sick. I came for the sick. Like, I've come so they may have life. I've, I've, my purpose is to help others succeed in this life. My purpose is to add value. And God invites us on this journey to say, now would you do this? There's the bullseye. It's about loving God. It's about loving others. And he says, come and join me on this journey. See, the, the picture of the gospel is the picture of the cross. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you want to follow me, here's what we're supposed to do. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? See, this is the hardest part of being a Christian, honestly, is that he's inviting us every single day to take up our cross. You, you see the picture of it. You're taking that cross up and you're saying, all right, I'm dying to my selfish motives. I'm dying to my flesh. I'm dying to my pride. I'm dying to those things and the anger inside of me. And I'm saying, I'm crucifying that so that I can live a life that would honor God and help others succeed. And he invites us into this journey. See, when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, and you know they saw you, it's like that, that's the moment you think like, man, it's really hard to be a Christian right now. Like, how am I supposed to really crucify my flesh and die to what I really want to do and really want to say? Like, like they, they knew I was there. But here's the truth. Is, is it possible that person that just got in front of you and cut you off, is it possible that 
They were abused their whole life, and they're looking for validation. They're looking for a way to feel in control. They're looking for a way to feel important. And all we think of is they think they're more important than me. Who do they think they are? And in the moment we judge them, we're actually pointing back at ourselves saying, I'm more important than you. And who's to judge that? And who knows about that? Or, or you're, in, you're in line and you're already late to a meeting, right? And the people are going slow and you're so frustrated with them. Maybe you should have left earlier so you don't have to be frustrated with the people in front of you that are keeping you more late to the, to the job, right? Because here's the truth. Sometimes you are late and there's a good reason. And whenever I'm in a meeting and somebody comes in and says, I'm so sorry, I got stuck in traffic, I had a flat tire or something, you know, went wrong, I couldn't make it on time. I always have grace for them. I'm not like, you jerk, you're late. I'm like, it's okay, I understand. Now, if that person is late all the time, then there's a bigger issue there. It's not just the traffic. It's not just the thing. You have a time management issue. You have an honoring others issue. That needs to be fixed. But really, sometimes it's just just saying, all right, I need to shut up. I need to just crucify my flesh right at this moment. When I get home from work, um, sometimes I go home and my kids are fighting because now it's in school, you know, and sometimes they're going at each other and they're making a lot of noise. And, and I go in and my wife looks a little crazy and flustered because, well, obviously the kids have been fighting today and she's probably a little overwhelmed. And, and I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to like sit down, relax, take off my shoes. And it's like everything comes busting in, right? And those are the moments it's like, man, it's really hard to be a Christ follower right now because I really don't want to just die to my flesh and do what, what I need to do because being a father is hard sometimes. But I have to remember, this is something I chose. It's actually a gift. And all, 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 truth be told, I only have 18 summers with my kids. My oldest now only have seven more. It's like, man, I should really pay attention to these summers because they're going to disappear pretty soon. And when you put things in perspective, you begin to realize, okay, I'm going to just say no to myself of really wanting just to relax, which is not a bad thing, so I can say yes to something else that's more important. And this is, what, this is the picture of the, of the gospel. God is saying, would you die to yourself? Would you crucify your flesh on a daily basis and say, man, God, I want to live my life for you. I want to live my life to add value to others. See, because the truth is, Jesus gives us the model. When he's on the cross... And he looks at the people who have put him on the cross, and they're laughing, and they're mocking, and they're spitting, and they just, they're hurting him. What is he, what's his response? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. His response is, God, they don't get it. They're so limited to a life that's only about them and what they want. They're adrift in an ocean without no purpose. God, forgive them. Jesus makes statements like this. It's easy to love people who love you. That's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to love those that hate you. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. It's this idea that, God, I'm going to crucify my flesh because I really don't like them, but, God, I know you want to do something in them. So those people that are causing a lot of harm in our world, would you help even that person? They don't even know what they're doing. They don't understand that life is not the whole story. There's something greater going on. There's something more that God has. They're so stuck in their own bubble, their own world, that it's all about them and fulfilling their selfish things that they're missing out on life. They're in an ocean adrift with nowhere to go. And all they look around and say, okay, I'm going to try that next thing. That might work. Nope, this doesn't work either. I'm going to try this thing. I'm, that's close enough. Nope, that doesn't work. Well, culture says I should do this, and I go there, and that doesn't work. And God says, it's about time that you just fix your life, put on the mast, let me, let me lead you on this journey, and then let me give you some help. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's like a motor, an engine that will actually propel you and move you into your future. Here's the challenge for today. Would you choose to live the best life possible? Jesus said, I've come to give you a, the life, a better life than you ever dreamed of. More fulfilling than all the things that you think give you pleasure, more fulfilling than that. If you'll just trust me with your life. Choose to live the best life possible. And, and we define it like this. That best life is loving God and loving others. It's saying today, how can I add value to my waiter or waitress? 
How can I add value to my boss or my employers? How can I add value to my, my family? How can I add value to those around me? What can I do with my life to make a difference? Because I don't want to just be adrift in a sea. You know, it always has to start with God. You always have to start with God. Um, the, the story I told in the beginning of these two ladies that were trying to travel from Hawaii to Tahiti, and they, they got off course by 5,000 miles. Here's the thing I didn't tell you is on their boat, they had this system called the Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, the EPIRB, which is a transmitter that goes up to a satellite that sends their signal to all the different coast guards around the world, saying there's a person in, in need. And they had this device the whole time, and they never once put it on. They shot flares in the air of different boats, but they never saw them. And 5,000 miles later, five months later, they're finally rescued. For 24 hours, they were really scared. They had a lot of supplies, so there was enough comfort in their boat. They had two dogs with them. There was enough comfort of life that they felt good. It's enough pleasure, enough things to just keep them moving. But the whole time, they had the answer in their boat, and they never used it. When you find yourself adrift in this ocean of life, and you're not getting anywhere, and you're hoping like, okay, this thing's not working, that thing's not working, God is saying, would you just push the button? Would you call out and say, I need your help? And that's what God invites us. In fact, um, start with God. Um, Next next one. Um, In Romans 12, I love the message translation of this. This is what the message says. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him and for yourself. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Our culture, a lot of times, is drifting around. That's how you fit in. Instead, would you fix your attention on God? You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God, he brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the purpose God's calling you to. He's saying, I want to develop something in you so you can be used greatly in this world. But the choice is yours. You can stay adrift on a boat, wandering aimlessly, seeing where you'll get one day. Or you can say, I'm going to fix my boat. God, I need your help. Rescue me. I'm going to put my mast up so you you send the wind that will lead me in that direction. Kick the motor on and we're going to get to that destination you're leading me to. But it always starts with God by saying, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. So some of you here today, as I speak about this, you would say, I'm that person that's just adrift in life, waiting for something else to come along. Maybe the next pleasure, maybe the next thing that I'm hoping will fulfill my life. And the whole time as God is saying, would you just push the button so I could come and help you figure out what life is really about? And this is what I love about God. He says, when you call out, when you reach out and say, I need your help, it's called humility. He always responds with grace. I'm here to help. I want to help you on this journey. You're stuck and you don't even know it. He's saying, just push the button and call out. If that's you today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. See, our relationship with God, it has to start here, saying, God, I want you to help me to, have, to know you, knowing your purpose for my life, so that I can help others with their life. And the moment you live this kind of life, saying, God, I want to live for you and your glory, you begin to live the life you're always created for. You'll find more f- fulfillment, more pleasure than any money, any drug, anything you'll ever take. Because God says, this is not why you're made. You're created for something more. I put heaven inside of you, and earth is too small to even show you what it's all about. Would you trust me on this journey? Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head as we end our service today? And if that's you, you would say, 
man, I want to, I want, I want you to know that's me that you're talking to today. I need something different in my life. I need direction. I need purpose. I need meaning. And today I want to invite you to say, God, I want your help. I'm pushing the button. I'm calling out for help. I don't want to just be drifting through life, hoping I get somewhere good. I want to live with intention, with purpose, so I can accomplish the purposes you, you have for me in my life. So if that's you today, would you do me a favor? Would you lift your hand just in your seat? I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to pray with you right there in your seat. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. And I've been doing it on my own. I need God's help. Awesome. I see your hands. Anybody else? That's me, God. I need your help. And God is saying, here's the target. Would you trust me on this journey? Quite a few hands went up. As you raise your hand, just know that God is looking down and you're not lifting a hand to me. You're lifting your hand to God saying, God, I need your help. I love these moments when somebody says, God, I want purpose. I want to live intentionally in my life. Because God can take that life and do something with it. That honesty, that humility, God says, I, I could do something with that. If you raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? If you're a Christ follower, would you join us in praying so they're not, they're not praying alone? Say this day, say, Father God, today... I acknowledge that I need your help. I want purpose in my life. I believe Jesus died on that cross in my place so I could find that purpose. I could find that freedom. Help me today. I believe Jesus is alive today to help me on this journey. So God, I invite you into my life. Lead me. I put my trust in you. I want your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that today? All those people pray that prayer.